I'm Melissa. And I'm Jesse. And this, this is, is the Reimagined Success, Success Podcast. Podcast. We're a husband and wife team who want to make a difference. Keeping up with the Joneses can be exhausting, and we can often lose sight of what we are accomplishing. We're here to reimagine success and to celebrate the steps it takes us to get there. Big or small, we want to showcase success stories that will inspire, motivate, and help propel you towards greatness in your own life. So come reimagine success with us and let's let's go go on on this this journey journey together. This week's episode of Reimagine Success is brought to you by Taking Control, a brand new album by me, Jesse Biondi. Taking Control is now available everywhere that music can be streamed. With 10 fresh tracks for you to enjoy, Taking Control is an album about not settling for what this world has to offer, but rather taking control of your life, your relationships, your situations, and your feelings. It's time to cut the strings and take control, so stream now everywhere that music can be heard. Welcome back to another edition of Reimagine Success. Hey, everybody. Hope you've had an extraordinarily successful week. Uh, big things happening in the Biondi household. Oh, yeah. We have been hustling and shaking over here. Maybe having our own podcast space. May, maybe a little bit of a bigger house coming up soon. We'll keep you posted. Yep. We've been working hard on trying to get our affairs in order to move to a bigger location so that we can spread out a little bit and stop recording our podcasts in our dining room. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if you guys know, now we are in 16 countries worldwide. Uh, We also, uh, we have numerous listeners every single week. Yeah. Lots of downloads every week. Yeah. We just want to say thank you so much for listening and continuing to share and support um, and for following us. We love you guys and you're amazing. Um, And we just want to say thank you so much for, you know, just that continued growth that we're seeing every single week. It's, it's, we just look at it and we're so inspired by you guys and we hope that we're inspiring you back. So yeah, this week uh, we're on target to hit 10,000 followers on Facebook, yes, which right. is just mind-boggling for a little baby podcast like ours. And um, you know, we've also started our Patreon page, which we've been talking about lately, and we've got some amazing content on there for your enjoyment. And we are also going to be doing an After Dark edition with us. Uh, just talking about free range uh, topics that we want to discuss with you. Um, And then we have uh, some other topics that we're going to be discussing as well on there every single week. We'll, We'll have something new. Yeah, that After Dark might be a little bit more PG-13, <laughs> so uh, we're, we're, we try to keep the regular podcast a little cleaner, and the After Dark will be our more fun times where we just talk about whatever we want. That's right, so and, if you uh, want to join, hit up our Patreon at Patreon slash Creative Global. Yes, and uh, by the way, I do have a brand new song that I just put out on the Patreon that's exclusive to only our Patreon listeners, so make sure you check that out. That's right. But more importantly, today's episode is going to be a good one. Oh, yes. So today we have Nicholas Doan with us. Nicholas Doan is the writer-creator of the award-winning all-ages graphic novel series Monster Elementary and the all-new Mature Readers graphic novel The Kid and the Ripper. He's also the author of three children's books for Fat Rabbit Farm. He was the first-ever user-submitted contest winner for DC Zuda Comics, along with artist Danielle Sarah for their webcomic Pray for Death. Nicholas has also collaborated with artist Josh Gowdy for their short comic Lost Boy in the Draw More Inc. anthology, No Bodies, Volume 2. In addition, Nicholas is an accomplished playwright and card-carrying member of the Dramatist Guild. Nicholas, welcome to welcome. the podcast. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. We actually met you at San Diego Comic-Con and yes, and you are up there. Uh, You are actually a panelist on a panel Mm -hmm. that we attended and just so impressed with your knowledge, your skills, what you've done, what you're bringing out to the world. Um, And you know, everything about your story so far, we just connected and so impressed by everything that you've already done. Oh, shucks. <laughs> um, so we would like to dive in. Uh, Nicholas, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your story and what your journey's been like so far? Yeah, I mean, 
so I guess my journey, I started as an actor and um, I studied writing as a playwright because I wanted to play every role. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was the way to do it. You get to, in your mind, you get to play every role when you're the writer. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then there was that magical light bulb that went off when I realized, oh my God, I know how to write things. I can write comic books now. Mm. So that was, that was the path there. And um, I wrote, you know, my first published work was for Zuda Comics. It was a web comic and it was, a, you know, horrible, grisly, terrible, um, murderous serial killer story. <laughs> which was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Um, but then, like, getting into the mind space of a serial killer is kind of gross. Yeah. And, like, so as as a palate cleanser after that, that's when I started uh, creating all-ages comics. And that's that's where Monster Elementary came from. Yeah. Now, it's so impressive that you've taken something. It, it's very similar in the career as a, a, an actor, a writer. And a lot of times actors do move on to being directors or, you know, being producers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's literally what you have done with your career. And, and, you know, that's so inspiring that you've taken your career and just moved it over to another facet that's just even more impressive. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. A lot of creative people, we're all like, we want to do everything. Yeah. Yep. We see our friends having fun with what they're doing. You know, when, when I was in college and I was an actor, you know, all my actor friends were always, you know, playing guitar and, you know, performing music. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. I want to do that too. I sucked <laughs> at it. So I stuck to acting. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, when, when you're in a creative field and you're surrounded by other creative people, um, that's, there's a lot of room to just keep being creative and be creative in other ways. Right. Now, when you originally started this contest, did you see the contest first and think, oh, I'm going to enter that and then create your content? Or did you already have your content already created before you entered the contest? Uh, you mean the, the Zuda comics contest? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, um, so when they announced that and they explained the rules for the contest, I was like, I'm going to do that right away i was like i'm gonna do that um you know i had a a different story that i'd pitched with the the same artist and i you know i just hit him up i was like you want to do this let's do this (laughs) um so we did we had to come up with you know something new uh in order to pitch it and be a part of the contest and then once we won the contest then it was you know off to the races and we kept doing you know four pages a week for was it four page i don't remember how many (laughs) But yeah, at that point, you know, we had, we had a deal, we had a contract and uh, we kept doing it for another like six months. Man, that is hustling. Yeah. That's really hustling. So my question is, uh, were you already interested in comics? Like your whole life, have you been kind of a comic book person or was this just something you stumbled into later in life? Oh, always. Yeah, always. always. I, I, I like to tell people I was born the same year Superman the movie came out. And that was nice. So, you know, that would, I was always surrounded by that. Old Christopher Reeves ones. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that was, those were the classes. I grew up on those. I loved Christopher Reeves. Oh, when yeah. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, what was it like when you actually won the contest? Uh, what was going through your head at the time? God, it was... Honestly, it was um, the contest ran in the month of December. Mm -hmm. So it was like the day after Christmas, a couple, one or two days after Christmas that I won. And it just felt like the greatest Christmas present ever. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, woke woke up, went and checked the computer and boom, there it was. I was going to be writing a comic for DC Comics. That's the dream. Yeah. That's, yeah. Especially if you're a Superman fan your whole life, that's the dream. DC Comics is what created the most legendary superhero of all time. And then here you are, this new guy on the street, and you're writing for DC. Right? That's insane. Yeah. And, and they paid me. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. they paid you. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. Right? <laughs> now, was this the first comic book you have ever written in your entire life? Um, I had... I had written stuff before that, but this was the first one that was published. Okay. All right. So, so now like I, I had pitches and, you know, mm-hmm. stories that I, I, I had this one comic that I, I rewritten like three times and it still wasn't very good, but it was your practice run. <laughs> right. It's, it's so, good to have a practice run. Yes. What, what kind of content were you doing back then? Was it more of the darker stuff or lighter yeah. stuff? 
It was all it was all very dark, um, mostly all serial killer stuff. Gotcha. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so keep it, keeping it in that same genre. <laughs> yeah. I kind of, like early on as a writer, I've always kind of felt like, why would you, like writing all ages seemed limiting to me. It, mm-hmm. The idea of, you know, not being able to use all the language at your disposal and, you know, all of the themes from life, it, it seemed very limiting. So... I, I never I never thought I would write all ages. And yeah. then when I did, when I came to that, it was like, well, this is a challenge. How do you how do you get these sorts of ideas and things across in a more creative way? And mm-hmm. I, I think it made me a much better writer for it. I think too, as creatives, we have to find our place. And Melissa and I talk about this a lot, especially like with my music, for instance. Like mm-hmm. my music isn't for everybody. And I don't want everybody listening to my music. Um, if you don't have a certain mindset, you're probably not going to enjoy my music because my music is actually really positive and uh, encouraging to live a better, fuller life. And there's people out there that just don't want that. They want negativity in their lives. And, and so they're not my fans. And I don't want them to be my fans because, well, my music's not made for them. Just like I'm sure it's with you, not everybody's going to enjoy a serial killer comic book and that's okay it's okay to say these aren't my fans but i want the people who will enjoy this the all not the all ages people but the people that maybe have a little bit of propensity towards that darkness and enjoy a little bit of uh uh you know a hardcore edge comic book Mm -hmm. here and those are your people and you have to market towards them and find that did it take a while for you to realize that you wanted to have a little bit more of a nick niche audience or uh is it something that you just kind of fell right into that pretty quickly i mean honestly i I never really kind of thought about it i just (laughs) felt like i mean as as a fan i like all kinds of things i I read some all ages comics i read some very horrible things you know you if you take a look at my music collection you'd be kind of surprised (laughs) at the variety Mm -hmm. so i just like a lot of the writers that I follow, it's it's their voice that makes them a good writer. And I feel like, you know, that voice comes through in any kind of genre, any kind of, you know, maturity level. So mm-hmm. I always just write what's true to me. And, and then I try to find the fans for it. Right, right. That- you know, that that's exactly what I do, too. And I think a lot of creatives do that. Mm-hmm. You you give yourself basically in any project that you do, whether it's music, comic books, Mm -hmm. acting, you give yourself, you give yourself to that character. You give yourself to that song. You, you know, you give yourself. And then from there, your audience will just automatically come. Yeah. Those who connect with whatever it is you're giving, they're going to be the people that are your fans. Right. But it's better than trying to be, um, not true to yourself and to try to be something that you're not, it, it, people are going to see right through that and it's never going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they always do. If, if you're ever false, then there's, there's no fan base for that. There's no fan base for falseness. Right. Yeah. If you give anything that's disingenuous, then um, immediately, you know, whoever you think your fan base is, they're not going to be there for you. Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I have a very similar story to you where how I started Deadly Crimson. You know, I, I unlike most boys, um, I didn't grow up with comic books. You know, I grew up with Barbie dolls. And, um, you know, so it's a little bit of a difference. So for me, I was also an actor. I lived in L.A. And, um, you know, Deadly Crimson actually started as a demo reel an action demo reel that I wanted to put together for my demo reel. And I created this character, um, Crimson. And from there, it turned into a three minute, it turned into a short story, it turned into a feature length film. Um, and then and then I turned it into a comic book series. And then now I'm working on getting into a TV series, which so it's kind of made this like full propel of motions, you know, through the advancement of Deadly Crimson, which is really like really inspiring and awesome to see the growth and development. Yeah. And it's just a natural progression that happens. And so it's, it's very similar to what happens with creatives. Your project has a life of their own and they'll, they'll just do it for you. You're, once you create a character, your creator, your character will write itself. It will tell oh, yeah. you exactly what to do in that scene, what it needs, and you just write it. And it's, it's just such an awesome creative process. Yeah, if your characters really exist inside you, then they'll tell you what to do. Yep. Yeah. And that's and the best. 
Yes. You know, sometimes starting a story and you think it's going one way and it goes somewhere else entirely and it's even better for it. Yep, exactly. That happened recently with Crimson. Yeah, yeah. the story, it, woo. Yeah. And it's cool. <laughs> Can't like, get into it too much right now, but. <laughs> it's, it's the thing that you feed. Whatever you continue to feed is going to continue to grow. So if you stop feeding that character within yourself, well, it's not going to go anywhere. But if you continue to pour into that and to keep your mind on it and to keep thinking about it and, and feeding it, it's going to grow into something large. Yeah. Right. And and not like Nicholas, not like you're a serial killer and I'm this crazy assassin, you know, us personally, you know, these are right, just speak characters. yourself. Okay. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> getting all the dirty, dirty. <laughs> you heard it here first. No. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's, it's not saying that those that's who we are. Cause I get questions like that all the time. Like, is this based on you? And I'm like, come on, I am not a nanobot technology assassin that goes around killing people. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, these are characters that we develop in our, in our minds. And just mm -hmm. like an actor is developing a character for a movie set or a TV series, you know, you have to develop it using the writer, which is us, which is kind of cool um, it, to develop that character and using everything makes everything roll and, and turn and the the actors and the writers and everyone always works together which is really cool now have you with any of your projects your comic books have you mm -hmm. thought about turning any of them them into like a tv series movie well i mean web? of course yeah don't, don't we all think about that oh of course um, of course yeah, i didn't know I actually i've had um, yeah I've, I've had some opportunities to um pitch Monster Elementary in some, you know, pretty, pretty big places. Um, but it's never, you know, it's never gone anywhere so far. But, you know, I'd love to see a cartoon of it. But mostly, like for me, I love making my comic books. And I'll, I'll keep doing that forever. If, if I can just keep doing that, then I'm happy. Yeah. But yeah. if somebody wants to back a truck of money up to my, my driveway and make a cartoon then uh, hell yeah let's make a cartoon <laughs> <laughs> well i know there's definitely a lot of people out there listening so you heard it here if you if you want to talk to nicholas about turning it into a tv series cartoon whatever works he please reach open. out to him <laughs> um now i know um have you ever thought about are you are you self-publishing your books like uh monsters elementary do you self-publish? I am. I am currently self-publishing. Yeah. Okay. I did um, both of the Monster Elementary books were available through a publisher through Diamond, and you know were distributed across the country. Mm -hmm. And um, it's incredibly disappointing. Some of the stories I could tell you about how that worked out. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, Diamond DC actually split ties with them last year. Right. So I know that you know Diamond from last year to this year has been hurting a lot um, with the fact that you know people are pulling out from Diamond and going other ways that will actually benefit a writer and creator a lot better than Diamond. They just took way too many fees out. <laughs> right. You were not I, able it, to even. Yeah, hopefully this really moves in a direction where, um, you know, the direct market is more open and, you know, more inviting to independent creators. I think all art is honestly going more independent. Mm -hmm. um, I know in the music business, like most of the artists that I'm, I follow and love the most are all independent. Like you've got, you know, your massive artists that are on labels that are doing all. Their well, stuff, yeah, but, but I mean, Billie Eilish, like she records in her bedroom. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Like everybody's doing stuff independently now mm -hmm. because there's so much technology available to us and so many uh, different resources that why should we as creators give away our creation to somebody else instead of just oh, yeah. releasing it ourselves? Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the musicians I follow, they they do it all on their own and they, you know, they release one song at a time and like mm -hmm. that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I just like I'm, I'm hungry for a new song and boom, there's one. And there there it is. Yeah. You have to listen to Jesse's music. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just released an album back in January that I self-produced and uh, I'm releasing songs, like you said, one at a time now uh, yeah. as I as I finish them and as I'm ready for them to hit the world, I just put them out. And it's great because nobody has to give me permission to release a song. Yeah. 
just like nobody has to give you permission to release a comic mm -hmm. book or a timeline exactly. or a deadline. Like when you're ready to do it, you do it. And that's the beauty of self-publishing. I honestly wonder why there aren't more musicians on Patreon because it seems like you could very easily say, hey, follow me for two bucks a month. I give you one song every 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you could put out 12 songs a year, that's like, that's, that's the perfect model. Yeah. I, would, I would follow so many bands on Patreon. <laughs> oh yeah. There's, there's a band that, um, I don't, I listen to a podcast that they run, but I'm not a huge listener of the band. I enjoy their music, but it's, it's a little bit metal for me, um, which I don't mind metal, but I digress. Uh, anyway, they, they do that model. They, they have a, a fan base. It's not necessarily Patreon, but it's like it where you, mm -hmm. if you're a subscriber, they release a song every so often and it's only available to those people for like two years. They only let it be available to those people and then they'll put it out on Spotify for everybody else. Yeah. But it's like, it's a really exclusive thing and they've got tons of fans that just eat that up and love it. It's a great model. Yeah. So, Hey, we could do our comic books on Patreon, get yeah. some subscribers and then they get all the issues and the, you know, stories and videos and everything else. So if you guys want us to do that and you want me to go behind the scenes of Deadly Crimson, if you want to go behind the scenes of The Kid and the Ripper or, mm -hmm. you know, Monsters Elementary that Nicholas is doing, reach out to him and let him know that you would love to support. Instead of a song a month, you could do two pages a month. So every two weeks, a new page. And so they just read it in stages. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. that that is it sounds easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you, so, you're always at the at the will of your your artist's speed, but, but mm -hmm. that was, you know, the DC Comics, the the Zuda Comics model. We we did I think four pages a week and it was amazing. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Now now is that book still available to buy in in comic book stores or online? Uh that one was only ever published online. Um, and it is currently unavailable. Okay. But, um, that's, that's one of the ones that I've, I've got in the back of my mind that I want to do a print edition of sooner or later. Oh, cool. That, that was, that... you know, one of the, one of the nice things about that was that, you know, you work with DC comics and they control everything, all the rights, you know, everything, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but, yep. um, once they let it go, it's back to me. So yep. I can, I can self publish that one anytime I like. Was there a pretty big response through DC with that? Did you get a lot of people that got on board with it? It, it was, it, it, it was pretty good. It was really kind of interesting and different. Like it was an experiment, DC doing a, a web comics portal. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a really great community around it that, you know, people still remember and look back on fondly. So. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I, well, you know, I really, yeah. I, I, no, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was just going to say that, you know, some of, some of my best friends and collaborators to this day are, are people that I met with Zuda. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happens on a podcast stays on a podcast. <laughs> Except that everybody gets to hear it. <laughs> like I said, stays on a podcast. <laughs> um, so you recently uh kickstarter you fully su fully successfully did your kickstarter for mm -hmm. the kid in the ripper which is right. so exciting yeah. um, so and so much work can you tell our <laughs> listeners a little bit about that process and what it was like and and uh any advice that you have for them i mean yeah the the real god the real thing is to be a monster on social media which i'm not <laughs> um yeah i um because this was my third Kickstarter. I did one for each of the first two Monster Elementary books. And it's it's been about five years in between the last Kickstarter and this one. And I feel like I've everything's changed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, being, being keyed in and part of the community is really important. Um, you know, knowing a, a lot of other creators and other people that are running Kickstarters at the same time because you can help promote each other and, you know, share everything. Uh, that's also really important and um just i mean you gotta you gotta get it out and show it to anybody and everybody you can and you know one of the really important things is to be genuine you know like we were talking about before people see falseness like with with kickstarter people want to root for you mm -hmm. um so if, if you're just kind of a, a flat personality list douche it's it's not gonna go 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you gotta, you know, you, you gotta let people see you and root for you and, you know, don't, don't be, don't be shy about actually being a person. Right. You know, I think, Reaching I think out. a lot of, a lot of us in the creative field, we, we get this mindset going on that we need to be like, a, we, we need to be perfect and pristine. We need to have this image mm -hmm. so that people look on us in a certain way. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, that's, that's just not true. I don't think, especially not with Kickstarter. Right. Just be a real person, genuine. Yeah. I, I think for a long time, the artistic person's personality was more of you wanted to be a little standoffish, a little bit um, mysterious almost, and yeah. not really connect with the fans on a real level. This was, you know, the way that most artists, I like musicians and artists and writers and all that, they, they always had this mysterious air to them. But I think now, in this digital age that we live, mm -hmm. people don't want that anymore. They want transparency. They want people to be real. They want to see your real life. And Kickstarter is a great way to yeah. like let them into that and to show them the real you. Yeah, people are seeking a connection. Right. That's, that's mm -hmm. what the internet is really for, and what it really does really well is it, you know, allows people to connect with each other who have never even met in real person, might not ever meet them. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's what that's what the that's connection is the key thing. Yeah, there's a lot of people that I feel like I kind of know them because I listen to a lot of the things that they do online and I follow them and I, I read all their stuff. And I know I don't know them, but I feel like I'm connected to them. And because of that, I support their art more. Yeah. And it's it's kind of yeah. funny because I'm almost fooling myself into believing I've got this this connection They're with this friend. person. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. If I saw them on the street, I'd be like, hey, what's up? They'd be I, like, don't, I don't know you. You don't know me, but I know you. <laughs> And so I'm that creepy fan guy, I guess. But it, it does it yeah. makes it makes a better connection when you can feel like you have that with the artist. Yeah. But how stressful was it for you with the Kickstarter? Incredibly. Kickstarter is incredibly stressful. Yeah, you have to be on it's, it. It's all or nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredibly stressful. I mean, any, anyone who's run a Kickstarter knows that it just like consumes you for 30 days. Yep. I don't, these people that do 45 day, 60 day campaigns, I don't know how they survive it. No, there's no way. There's no I way know. I can do that. 30 days, done. 30, 30 days is the maximum to survive without getting an ulcer. Yeah. <laughs> and did it get down pretty close to the wire for you on this yeah, one? It got, it got very close this time around. Um, I, I had a, you, you know, it was like I had a very big first day and I had a very big last day. And in the middle of, you know, the, I had 28 days where I was sweating a lot. <laughs> oh, goodness. I know I, I saw it toward, not necessarily at the end, but towards the end. And I was like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about this and went ahead and pledged. And I was like, oh, please get it. And then when I got that notification, I was like, yes, he got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it I know I can. Yeah, it can be very stressful, just constantly working it and growing it. Mm -hmm. Now, how long did it take you to actually um, get your, your Kickstarter campaign page up and, and edit, edit it and get it going? How long did that process take you? Um, it was, I mean, it was pretty easy because I knew what I wanted to do. Like, I, you know, I'd been thinking about it for well over a year, probably, right. so... I knew where I was going to go. And then like I, I put it together months in advance. Yeah. And I had just had it, you know, all there. And then, you know, as I thought of things, something changed, something this, I'd go back Do in and edit it. Me too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I had a lot of time to, you know, make changes and, you know, new pieces of art would come in and then I'd go back in and put them on the Kickstarter page. So they'd be there. Yep. Yep. Um, and, but I, I also, you know, because it was my third kit, copy and paste, and then change everything to meet. So I, I always kind of have that form now. Mm -hmm. So that was easy. Yeah, and yeah. You know, I did something very, very similar with with my Kickstarter that's about to launch. Um, I've actually had it on there for months now, and yeah. very similar, just changing it and updating it and growing it. So then that way it's a lot easier. You can just hit submit and go. Yeah, yeah. You wanna you wanna give yourself that time to be sure. To know that you've got it all right. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
So as a creative, uh, one of the things that we find with a lot of people is, and, and ourselves is that when you're spending all of your time being a creative person, you kind of let go in other aspects of your life, um, relationships with people, you know, friendships suffer. You, you don't get to go out and do as many things as you'd like to do. Um, how's that been for you? Um, I mean, it's always a struggle. And honestly, for me, the, the thing that I feel like suffers the most is the creative aspect. Mm. Um, cause I still, I, you know, I still work a full-time day job on the side and that that's exhausting. And, you know, with the creative aspect, a lot, a lot of my closest friends and closest relationships are other creative people. So it's, it's nice. It's nice to have the creative project so that I can, I have an excuse to see them and talk to them and, you know, be with them. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, when you're, when you're friends, you can work with them. You have yeah. excuses. Um, yeah. Then it's, it's also a tax write-off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to grab dinner? <laughs> you want to go to, go to dinner? <laughs> Talk about the comments, you know? <laughs> well, I know, uh, Nicholas, we met each other at Comic-Con and Comic-Cons is a huge part of a, a writer, comic book creator, um, artist. So how, when you go to comic cons, how does that affect your life and how easy is it to make relationships and form relationships and keep those relationships up after the comic con is over and the convention is over? Uh, well, I mean, going to conventions like that is my favorite thing. I love yeah. it. Oh, Absolutely love it. So I can, I can make time for that. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And um, you, I mean, we meet a lot of people at shows like oh, yeah. you and I mean, you know, you know, look, you and I, we just met in November for a minute and connected online and, you know, here I am now. Yeah. So we, it, it's, those kind of relationships are great. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't go out to lunch with you every week, but, but, but we, we have this, you know, this, this, this formal, you know, business relationship and it's great. Right. I meet a lot of people like that. We meet a lot of people at shows and I've, you know, built friendships that way. Yep. Um, I have uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Norm. He um, he just approached my booth one at one show and bought a copy of the book. And he came back the next day, all excited, wanting to talk about it because one of the artists I work with, who lives in Texas, is somebody that he knows and he's he's worked with. And, <laughs> and then he's like, "Can I take you out to dinner so that I can pick your brain about what you do? Because I want to do what you do." And um, <laughs> Now that now that fool has uh, an an Eisner nomination and <laughs> you trained him. Just say I yeah. trained him. I showed him everything he knows. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, there's 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 going to be people like that that you just meet randomly and they become you know the, some of the most important people in your life and they're going to be people that you have a lot of fun with and you only see them at conventions and you're looking forward to the next convention to see them again. Right. How many conventions do you get to do a year, typically? Uh, as, as many as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for I mean, for a while, I think I was averaging about one a month. Oh wow! Um, this this year, this year, I'm making a move and trying to do as many as possible uh, since I'm you know pushing a new book finally. Yep. And, mm -hmm. So I'm I'm gonna do more than that even. I, I just I just filled in my calendar with a, a bunch of events and it's like. It's like I'm not even going to be at home the month of July. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I thought I booked myself for a lot of conventions. and I only have like six, so I don't know how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, and I've, I've found recently that there, there are a lot of these like one-day shows that will pop up just on a Sunday, and they're actually a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's nice to just, you know, for one day, cruise up there, sell some books, and, you know, pack up and go. Yep. There's, um, there's a convention actually here in Atlanta um, that is a one-day show, and they have it twice uh, a year, I believe. And mm -hmm. it's just one day you go, sell books, and people yeah. dress up a little bit. Um, but it's really just for the artist and the, and the fans to connect. So those are really fun. Yeah, absolutely. How, how long has it been since the last issue of Kid and the Ripper came out? Uh, so I, I uh, just am going straight to a, a trade paperback. The full graphic novel. Oh, well, so I haven't okay. released any of it yet. Okay. okay. Um, I've been, you know, sharing a lot of the art online, mm -hmm. but uh, it's all going to be just one big, beautiful book. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. really cool. 
Yeah. You know, I, I thought about doing something like that, like a graphic novel, but, um, you know, I, in turn, went ahead and broke it up into six issues that are actually expanding. So now it's turned into a lot more. It's mm -hmm. uh, never ending at this point. Um, Great. Yeah. But, um, you know, so the process is however it starts, it kind of continues that. And then um, have you ever thought about doing issues and then turning around and creating, um, say, six or 12 issues into a graphic novel? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, I, I almost did that with the kid in the river, honestly. And yeah, you know, I've, I'm sure I will do that with some other project in the future. I, I just, when I do that, I want to feel confident that I can keep a, keep a pace, keep a publishing schedule. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that's like with, with the kid in the ripper, it would have been four issues and I would hate to put out the first issue and then be delayed and held up and not get another one for a year, a year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, so it made a lot more sense to me to just go ahead and, you know, get it all done and put it all together all at once. Yeah, that, that's how I, I feel about Deadly Crimson. The first issue came out and then COVID hit and then mm -hmm. printing stopped. And then, you know, I had to figure out artists and it was just so many things I feel like that happened, you know, in the span of a year and a half, yeah. that, um, you know, just, derailed and delayed and um so I, I feel that exact way but now you know i'm back on track and issue three is already in the works and issue two is about to be released so i'm back on a good schedule but yeah i feel you there did COVID yeah. slow you down at all in production oh uh well i mean covid covid slowed me down personally yeah mm -hmm. oh yeah i feel like I mean, everyone it, the the one thing that COVID did for me was it gave me time to like sit back and think and reevaluate my life and um, actually get on task with the kid in the ripper. Um, mm. That was it was because of COVID that you know I didn't have a lot going on in my life and I had because I wasn't you know going out and spending money on all kinds of things. I actually had a lot of money that I could put aside and funnel into the project. So COVID actually helped and it it allowed me to you know, take my time with it. You know, I'd started just by hiring an editor and, you know, we, we talked through the, the scripts and made notes and made sure the scripts were solid and then uh, got the artists started and, you know, worked through them. And so it, it gave us the time to actually focus on the quality. Right. Yeah, it's true yeah. because during COVID everything was shut down and you had to, internalize what you're doing and and work on the goals that you're trying to yeah. achieve yeah i created a ton during covid like mm -hmm. when it was in full swing and we were more on lockdown stuff that's when i did most of the writing for my record yeah now nicholas do you do you do the writing and art or just the writing oh just the writing okay i want it to look good <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me yeah. too. Now, how hard has it been with your comic books to uh, get the best artist and to work with artists? Like, what has that process been like for you? Um, I feel like I've been really fortunate in that, you know, a, a lot of the artists I work with are actually excited about and interested in working with me. Like, they, they connect with the material. So that's really kind of important. You, you're not going to get a very good product if they don't connect with it. And mm. you're not going to get a good artist if they're not interested in working. They don't see the quality in it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, but, you know, the number of artists that flake out and the number of artists that just are too busy for you, that's enormous. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like you, you got to be, you know, th you know, throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Um, but, yeah, I... I, I look for artists that I'm drawn to that I think have their own style and they are really great. Mm -hmm. And those are the people I seek out and that I ask to work with. And, you know, a lot of them are people that I was friends with already. So that makes it easier for them to not say no because they don't want to disappoint me. <laughs> <laughs> right. <Yep. laughs> Thought we were friends. Right. Right. <laughs> Friendships, uh, when it comes to creative stuff, they can really take a nosedive if you get involved with your friends too much and it doesn't go well. I've, I've lost a lot of friends through uh, band breakups and the sort. 
yeah. It could get ugly, unfortunately. Yeah. People don't people don't see that side of things. They just think, oh, these guys are so lucky. They get to create together and they don't understand what how taxing it can be on a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um writing and creating is really a laborious task. I mean, it's, it's great. You know, it's, it's something that we do because we're passionate about it and we love it, but it's also something that can labor intensive. Yeah. Be extremely stressful and time consuming and labor intensive. And so what are some things that have worked for you and some things that haven't when it comes to, you know, carving out time and, and creating and, and, creating space for yourself to be creative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one thing that worked really well for me, um, which, which got kind of stopped because of COVID. Uh, but I, I used to work with a writer's group. So, okay. so having that date, that appointment and making the time to be there every week and just, you know, sit in a room and write and having other people in the room that are all, you know, similarly minded. And so you have that, that sort of pressure, like, oh, if I, if I flick out, then I'm letting them down. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that worked great having, working with a writer's group. And, so, and it also too, like when you're sitting there and you're stuck on something, you have people that you know, you can count on that you can throw ideas back and forth with and get their advice. You know, um, you know, my, my writer's group did read the first draft of the kid in the ripper and give me a lot of feedback. So hmm. that That's was so cool. also really helpful there. Yeah. Yeah. So just having that accountability to keep mm-hmm. you going. Uh, yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, the the accountability, accountability is key. Mm-hmm. That's the number one thing. Uh, yeah. I, but I also uh, try to try to go outside my home to write, mm-hmm. find uh, other places. Um, I actually just today uh, I had a little free time earlier in the day, so I stopped by Universal Studios and just sat down in one of the cafes and wrote some pages. Hmm. Nice. I mean, that's a, that's if the inspiration doesn't hit there, I don't know where it will. <laughs> that's right. I, I love, um, so, you know, I lived in LA and I've been to that studio many times. So I love, I know exactly what cafe you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Cute, it's always, charming. it's always, it's always good to go somewhere different because it, it, it just injects a different, different energy, different thinking. Um, and, and the fact that you went there to do this, is a little bit of that accountability. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like going to work. Sometimes yeah. I'll go sit at the beach, you know, wherever, wherever is a nice view. I actually, a couple of times I've gone down to the uh, Santa Monica airport. It's a small little airport and there's hmm. a picnic table you can sit on right by the runway and watch planes take off. Oh, and that's land. cool. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. That would be, that would be a sight. I, I would probably be staring at the planes the entire time and not writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or you could stare at the people and imagine how you would kill them if you were your character. <laughs> See? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're getting into that deep, dark stuff now. <laughs> so uh, through all of your process and, and all of the books that you've written so far, um, what are some of the biggest struggles and failures that you've experienced so far on your journey? Whew. Um. <laughs> I mean, the, the first Monster Elementary book, I, I actually, when, when I was first working on it and pitching it, was getting like amazing responses. And I had a, um, a publishing deal through a studio at Image Comics and actually had to turn down an offer to be a part of uh, Dark Horse's brand new relaunched, my, uh, uh, the, new, the relaunch of um, Dark Horse Presents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because of some issues uh, and some problems, I wound up losing that contract with Image Comics and, you know, but at that point lost out the opportunity to be a part of Dark Horse Comics. And, oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah. So there, there's some, those were some major struggles. And it was like at that point, you know, I'd, I'd shown that book to everybody and everybody had either passed on it or, you know, offered us a deal, but had moved on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So that was that was actually the reason I wound up self-publishing and becoming a self-publisher and you know building it back up from there. 
Right. You know, so, and some, sometimes that's our failures and we, we call them failures, but our failures actually lead us to where we're supposed to be. So that way you don't have dark horse or, you know, you don't have image telling you what you can and can't put out and what you can and can't do. And, and right. you are, you are the creator of the entire process and story. And it's something beautiful to that. Yeah, it was, it was really God, when that first Kickstarter ended and I had the money to make my own book and do it my way and do it myself and do it with the people I wanted to do it with, it was such an incredible feeling. And like, there's, there's nothing else. No, no one who hasn't been through that can ever really understand right. like, how, how satisfying that is to have so many people want to support your dream and, mm. you know, give you, mm. give you the means to do it on your own. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. why that's why I love Kickstarter. And for those who have been living under a rock, uh, Kickstarter, you it's actually you're all in or nothing. So if you right. have a ten thousand dollar goal that you need to hit in order to create your project, if you are at nine thousand five hundred dollars you get none of that money so you mm -hmm. have to be ten thousand dollars or above in order to get um to get funded to uh, successfully funded um you know so when you are on the edge of your seat and and if it funds in the first day you are riding beautiful the rest of the time but if it doesn't and you know you are at your your day 29 and you still mm -hmm. have some more money to to raise um, you know, it, it can, it can be stressful, you know, because where, where is that money going to come from? And the supporters and the fans, you know, they're, they're your, they're your people who support you and take care of you and, and make sure that the project comes to life. And I know failures are a huge part, which like I said, takes you on the next journey, mm -hmm. but we always celebrate your successes. So what success stories do you have recently? I know the Kickstarter is a huge yep. one. Yep. Um, but what other success stories do you have recently that you would like to share and celebrate? We share it all, big and small. I mean, one that was actually a really big deal for me was uh, getting David Palumbo to do the cover art for The Kid in the River. Oh, yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> which is, yeah, he, he did a, a fully painted cover for the book and... Oh, you know, wow. he, he's known for doing the Marvel masterpieces, trading cards. If, if you look it up, they're amazing. It's ridiculous. And it was just like a simple email. And he was like, yeah, I have a little time in my schedule. Oh, man. So that was, I mean, it was easily, easily achieved for some reason. <laughs> but um, it, it was, it was a deal. It was a huge success. You know, yeah, sometimes yeah. the universe just aligns like that. And it's because you self-published. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean... The, on that same note, I, I emailed a whole bunch of artists that I would be a dream to work with. Um, many of them never responded, and some mm -hmm. of them were just didn't have the time. Um, but you know, snagging snagging David Palumbo was pretty amazing. Oh yeah, he's and you guys need to to, to look at his work. Um, we will definitely share some of his work, and also, of course, Nicholas's work on our stories and on our Facebook page. Um, and um, speaking of that, Nicholas, where can our listeners find you? Where can they support you? And do you still have the Kid in the Ripper for sale for those who would like to support still? Uh, it's, it's definitely going to be available again soon. Um, I'm going to take these books all over the country and I'll be making them available online once, uh, once they're printed and in hand. Um, but at the moment, you know, the Kickstarter's over. So you're not going to be able to get one right away, but uh, they can keep an eye on. Um, I, I've got uh, two Instagram accounts, one that is just specifically for the kid and the Ripper. Uh, the other one is my personal account. They can follow that. It's Nick and the kid and the Ripper. Um, and uh, they can also uh, check, uh, check out Monster Elementary at monsterelementary.com. And there are books available there to order. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Nicholas, this has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today and, you know, picking your brain about some of this stuff and just looking at your journey journey. And I'm glad that we can be a part of it. And, oh, yeah. and now yeah. that, you know, we've got to meet you back in, uh, Comic-Con. Yeah, Comic-Con. <laughs> November. Yeah, November. <laughs> uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we got to meet you for yep. the first right. time. We uh, spent our Thanksgiving together. That's absolutely. right. <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, 
you know, we just like to partner with people and come along beside them and celebrate them. So we're going to be celebrating you the whole way, uh, all the way through the release and afterwards. And when you release, we're going to be sharing about that and pushing people your way. So, uh, we can't wait to, to get you back on in the future and have a follow up and see where this goes and you know, what's coming next and, and just, just get, get the whole scoop from you going forward. Great. Yes. We can't wait. <laughs> nice. Me neither. Yeah. This, this is always the, the worst part of uh, publishing a book is like, you've done it, you're there. And now it's, I, I need to give it to people. Yeah. I want, I want yep. the world to see it. I want the world to have it. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's just the process of printing. Now, do you already have a uh, printing uh, publisher or printing company that you're using or? I, I have, um, I usually work with a company called Marquee. Okay. which they're, they're amazing and their customer service is top notch. Um, if, they, if they're listening to this, they, they could give me a referral discount maybe. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll tag them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but they are, they are wonderful. They've been very good to me. Uh, I don't know how much more complicated it is for them now with COVID and all the uh, shortages, but um, I, they always do the best that they can and everything yeah. that's possible. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah. Nicholas, you have been you have been so great, and thank you so much for being on the podcast and taking your time, um, your wisdom. You are so inspirational to, I'm sure myself, but I'm sure all the listeners that are out there that want to do something. And what would you say to those listeners who want to do something like create a story or create a comic book or put their work out there? What's your last words of wisdom for them? I'll do it. <laughs> just do it that's you know looking back in all the years I always wished that I had just gone ahead and done a lot more yeah mm. um you know it's it's okay to fail it's okay to put something out that's not a hundred percent because everything is just one step towards getting to the next thing that's beautiful beautifully couldn't have said it best <laughs> yeah. perfect well, thank you so much, Nicholas, and uh, we will bring you back on and talk about all the success of Kid in the Ripper and what you're doing next. Absolutely. So until thank, next thank time, you. thank you. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> all right. Man, he was, he's, he's done a lot of stuff. I know. I, um, I was just thinking to myself, wow, I need to get on the ball with my comic book collection. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It, stuff takes time, and it, People don't understand how much goes into creating, but there's just so much. So much. And, you know, I would love to share the process with anyone who just wants to see the behind the scenes of what happens um, creating a comic book or, or writing or the writing process. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Um, I'm sure Nicholas would answer any questions and I would answer any questions. So reach out to us and let us know, you know, what you're going through and your struggles. And we would love to help in any way we can. Don't forget also, if you've got successes that you want to share and you don't really have anybody to share it with, or you just want somebody else to share it with, we love to hear about yes. people's success. That's the whole reason we do this podcast is oh, yeah. to hear about successes from people. So feel free to email us at reimaginesuccesspod.com. Gmail. I'm so, at gmail.com <laughs> reimagine success pod at gmail.com and uh, share those success stories with us. Cause we, we really love to hear them and who knows, we might even share it right here on the podcast. That is so absolutely true. Um, and with that, this is a creative global entertainment production. Did you get motivated? Do you feel inspired? Don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses anymore. And don't forget to celebrate your successes every single day. Thank you for taking this journey with us. Follow us at Facebook and Instagram at Reimagine Success Pod. Email us at reimaginesuccesspod at gmail.com and let us know what your successes are. New episodes every Thursday at reimaginesuccesspod.com. So let's change our mindsets and reimagine success.